Good morning, church family. Happy Easter. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, He is risen. Now I want you to turn to your other neighbor and say, He is risen indeed. I want to thank the bell choir, the choir, Stephanie, Tim Tanner, who read from Isaiah a powerful passage predicting the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For Emily's personal testimony, what a joy it is to hear that as a pastor of a church, to know that we welcome in, we, we welcome people in as Jesus would welcome them. I want us to look at the question this morning, what is truth? It is found in the pages of scripture and it is uttered by a man who is not a Christian. But it is a question that we need to listen to and think about today in our society. So I invite you to turn open in your Bibles to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 18. And in your pew Bibles, that's page 1050. 1050, John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. And if you are able and uh, can stand, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others tell to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate asked. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate replied, what is truth? Lord, this is your word. This, this meeting between Jesus and Pilate that took place 2,000 years ago still rings in our ears today in 2023 as we celebrate the resurrection of the one who stood before Pilate, we remember this one truth, that while Pilate thought that Jesus was on trial, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it was Pilate who was on trial that day, even as you in our congregation, listening to our live stream, and me are on trial today. May our words and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So we asked the question, what is truth? That's what Pilate asked. You know, we all want the truth. Over the last year, the Low Country has been in the national spotlight. A man by the name Alex Murdoch, or Alec Murdoch, was on trial for murder. And the courtroom was filled with people who all wanted to know the truth. We all watched, many of us watched 
on uh, the trial on television. It enraptured our attention. We all wanted to know what was the truth, and it became obvious, even as audacious as it was for him to take the stand. Right before he took the stand, he placed his left hand on the Bible. He raised his right hand and he said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the whole truth, so help me God. And of course, we all watched as this man continued to rattle off lie after lie after lie. And the court of public opinion, as well as a jury of his peers, found him <coughs> guilty. Guilty for murder. He was a liar. He didn't tell the truth. He was, as many would say, Satan was. Satan was a liar. Jesus would say this. Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Interesting. Jesus would say that about Satan. So what is truth? You and I, many of us, love to watch courtroom TV, the dramas that are on television. Some of us go all the way back to the days of Perry Mason. Raise your hand if you watch Perry Mason. Okay, many of you. How many of you like Columbo? Hey, just one more question, man. You remember Columbo, right? Some of us know, you know, my, my wife's favorite is Matlock. How many watch Matlock? Okay, many of you. And now Law and Order. How many of you watch Law and Order? It's on television right now. We all want the truth. We want to figure it out. So what is truth? Defined, it is in accord, being in accord with fact or reality. It is objective. It is true. And so we think about this. You know, and even in the movies, you know, one of my favorite movies is A Few Good Men. How I many of you have ever watched that movie before? It's kind of a cult classic. It's a young hotshot lawyer named Tom, by, played by Tom Cruise, right? <coughs> Lieutenant Caffey. And in the, uh, the epic scene, towards the end of that movie, you have Lieutenant Caffey actually questioning this high-ranking military marine colonel, Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. And Nif Nicholson is on the witness stand, and, colonel, and uh, Lieutenant Caffey is questioning him. And finally, it gets to the crux of Caffey dialing in and trying to get him to confess to ordering a code red. And of course, it is, it is the uh, colonel who says, do you want answers? And Tom Cruise retorts, I think I'm entitled. And then he says again, do you want answers? I want the truth. And then Jessup says, you can't handle the truth. Well, my question to all of us this morning is, can you handle the truth? Not your truth, you see, but the truth. The truth as it's found in the pages of Scripture. Do you realize that today most young people who go off to college believe that all truth is relative? It's true. They all believe that all truth is relative. The problem with that statement is that it is an absolute statement, truth claim, that all truth is relative. No, no, no. No, no. There is objective truth. There is absolute truth. There is the truth. Let me just give you a couple of examples. How many of you here would disagree with me if I said 2 plus 2 equals 4? Would anybody disagree? 
How about 2 plus 3 is 5? We all agree that that is absolute truth. Now, how about this? If I sat here and I told you that gravity, the acceleration of gravity, is 9.81 meters per second squared. Now, let's prove that. Let's prove that. Here I am up on this platform, about two feet higher than the floor. If I chose to walk off this platform right now, how many of you think I would float up? Anybody? Does anybody think I... Somebody raised their hand. Hey, man, sister. I am a little lighter these days, so I guess so. How many of you think I would just continue walking on the same plane? No, how many of you think I would go right down? I would fall at exactly this speed, 9.81 meters per second squared. It's true. That is true. It is objective truth. And so this morning, as we think about the culture in which we live, this is perhaps the quintessential question that we must answer. What is truth? You see, our young people are being told that you can have your own truth. You can live your own truth. And that if anybody disagrees with you, then they are mean-spirited. But folks, the beauty of the Word of God is that it doesn't equivocate. It is immovable. It is unshakable. And this church has decided to stand on this truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this morning, let's look at what the king of truth has to say. The first aspect or the answer to this question is the fact that his kingdom is truth. Look at what it says there in verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. He then follows it up by saying, but now my kingdom is from another place. You know, it's interesting. The word kingdom occurs in the Gospels 121 times. The word church, guess how many times? Twice. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. Right. The very first words he spoke publicly were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king has come near, and the kingdom has now come near. But it's not a kingdom. Um, it's a kingdom unlike any other kingdom that has ever been. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a question I'll ask all of you is this. Where does this kingdom language first appear in Scripture? Where does it first occur, this idea of rulership, reign, having a realm and having subjects in that realm? You, you may be surprised. It's found in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1. You realize that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, do you know what the next phrase is? So that he may rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, 
and over all of the wild animals and everything that creeps upon the earth. You see, our good God has shared his creation with humankind. That's the first mention of the kingdom. The fact that we have been given the responsibility to steward God's good creation. Unfortunately, we know what happened in Genesis 3. How did man do? Not so well. God told him, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The only prohibition he gave. And what did he do? Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden, the age of the kingdom of God, with humanity as its chief steward, has now converted to an age of sin and death. We're currently living in that age. And fast forward a little bit to Moses. Think about it. When Moses was raised up by God to deliver God's chosen people Israel out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, he brings them to the Red Sea. And what does he do? He parts the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. And they get over to the other side. And the sea comes in on all of the Egyptian soldiers and drowns them. And God has delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh. And they're now on the other side of the Red Sea. And it's called the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. And Moses sings this beautiful song of the deliverance of Almighty God. And at the very end, it says this in verse 18. Yahweh is our king. He is the one who is our king. God wanted a theocracy. He wanted to be the people's king. Fast forward all the way through the very difficult and treacherous time of the Israelite nation, all through the prophets and the kings of Israel, finishing out the whole Old Testament until finally the king, Jesus himself, who would be worshipped by kings, the wise men, even at his birth, ushering in the new kingdom, the kingdom that is not physical, it is a kingdom that is spiritual. It is not a kingdom that conquers by force. It is a kingdom that says come by faith. You see, this is the Jesus Christ that we worship. Jesus told his disciples, the kingdom is not out there. It's not something that can be observed. It's not out there. It's not over there. For the kingdom of God is within you. My question for us this morning is this. Are you really part of the kingdom of God? What is the fruit of your life? What is it that causes you to know without a shadow of a doubt that at the end of your days God is going to raise you up? to be a part of his heavenly kingdom. You see, all of us come into this place to worship him. And yes, we should. We should worship Jesus Christ because he alone is worthy of our worship. But my question isn't really, do you know Jesus? The question is, does Jesus know you? 
Does Jesus really, in the, in the, the quiet moments of your life, does Jesus know you? When your days are over, is he going to look at you and say, you're mine. This life that we live in is a physical universe. It's a physical world. But there is a spiritual kingdom that Jesus is building. Oh, if you haven't made that decision this morning, can I invite you to the cross where the penalty has been paid, where the blood has been shed, when forgiveness comes freely and you're able to come into the family of God once and forever more. That is the kingdom that Jesus is calling you and me to every single day. But there is a second one. Look at what it says there in verse 37. It says this, his word is truth. In verse 37, he says, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world. To testify to the truth. His word is truth. Not only is his kingdom truth, but his word is truth. To testify means to give a truthful account. Can you imagine if you placed your hand on the Bible, raised your right hand, said, I'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the whole truth, and then got up and lied? Or told your own version of the truth? Well, guess what? If everybody tells their version of the truth and it has equal validity to real truth, then guess what happens? The entire judicial system breaks down in our country. Because there is objective truth, evidentiary truth. And so Jesus says, I've come to testify to the truth. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is true. Every word of God is infallible. Every word of God is inerrant. There are no errors in this Bible. Amen. You and I have to stand up underneath this truth. It is indestructible. Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Jesus prayed, sanctify them, Lord, by the truth. Your word is truth. Paul would say to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Let me ask you a question. If all scripture, all 66 books of the Bible is truth, is God-breathed, and God is perfect, then this word is perfect. Oh, oh, this morning we live in a culture that wants to take this word and say it's good for certain things, but not others. When you do that, when you start picking apart the very word of God, then what you are doing is you are placing yourself on the throne and taking him off. Because his word is truth. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Do you realize this word does three things? It answers three questions that all humans, all humans in their life ask. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? The Bible does that. The Bible tells us where we came from. The Bible tells us why we're here. To glorify Him. To seek Him and find Him. Because God said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. 
you will be found by God. And Jesus gave us the greatest commandment. Remember the religious leaders came up to him and they said, what's the greatest commandment? They were trying to trick him. Jesus knew that. There were 613 commandments in the Jewish law. They wanted him to pick one so that they could somehow find fault with it. Jesus understood that. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God. With what? All of, all of your heart. All of your mind. All of your soul. And all of your strength. My question for you is this. Do you love the Lord your God with all of that? With all of your heart? Out of the heart flow the issues of life. It's the seat and center of your will. Do you align your will to his will? Is your heart bent toward God each and every day? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Is it in building popularity? Is it in building wealth? Is it in building privilege? Some kind of popularity that you have? Or is it in glorifying Almighty God? Number two, your mind. Paul said, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You realize most people are walking around right now with old technology up here. It's like a blackberry in their brain. They're thinking on this surface. They're thinking in the physical universe. But guess what? When you take on the mind of Christ, you now have a supercomputer because it sees not only the physical, but it sees the spiritual. You see the big picture. You see the great perspective of God in your life. No longer do you have to deal with the circumstances of life. We all go through them. Every one of us. But who is the one who is greater than any circumstance you'll ever face? Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on these things. That's what Paul would say. What about your soul? Oh, your soul will live on. Which destiny is it going to? Jesus would ask this question, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Oh, it's strong for us to realize that Jesus has paid it all. What are you going to do about Jesus? Finally, our bodies, our strength. We have bodies that we use, but they eventually need to be used for something good. The scripture is very clear. In that same passage in which Paul talked about renewing your mind, he said, Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him, because this is your spiritual act of worship. This morning, do you every morning wake up and say, Lord, this is your body. This is your mind. This is your soul. This is your heart. Use me. Use me to glorify that should be the heart of all of us. And then, of course, the second commandment out of the word is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That sounds very nice to say, but very difficult to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the people who love you? I would bet most of us in this room would say, yeah, I love the people who love me. What about the people who hate you? What about your enemies? What about those who persecute you and ridicule you? You young people in school, what if you get bullied in school? Do you love them? Do you pray for them? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. This is a challenge for all of us, I know. It's not easy. We oftentimes sit back and just in our own mind think we want that person to fail. We want them to falter. But that's not the heart of Jesus. But Jesus is teaching us, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like this. Somebody comes and tells you, you have cancer. And we're in a day and age when now all of a sudden there is a pill. And you know that that pill exists and you have a pill up in your room. And you go home. And you say, well, I've just been told I have cancer. I'll take this pill. And I'll be cured. I'll be able to go on living. And I take the pill. Loving your neighbor is when you find out that your neighbor down the street has cancer. Would you dare walk down the street and offer them the cure? Folks, every single human being who's ever been born has a cancer called sin. Every single one of us was born in the sin nature. Our neighbor down the street has sin just like I do. The only difference is, I have found the cure. The cure is Jesus Christ. The cure is the shed blood of the Lamb on the cross, once and for all, to pay for my sins. And not only mine, but the sins of the whole world. Why would I not share the greatest news that he can live, that she can live forever and ever and ever in eternity. That's what this truth, this word, your word is truth. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you'll take the pill, share it. Go ye therefore into all the world. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, with, commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus Christ. This is what he said. This is what he came to do. This is what you and I must do. But then thirdly, not only are we to see that his kingdom is truth, his word is truth, but he himself is, in fact, truth. Look at what it says there. He says in verse 37, you are right in saying, I am a king. I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. <laughs> I read this passage. I've been saved since I was 17 years of age. And it's just been recently that I've noticed that this passage really reveals something about Jesus and who he really is, his real nature. Has it ever caught your attention that he says, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world? 
He was born. That shows his humanity. But then he said, I came into the world. Which implies what? That he already existed. That he was with the Father. That in fact, Jesus Christ is the divine one. He is God in the flesh, loving the hurting world. He's both fully man and fully God. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, if he said that and it was true, then you have to do something with that. Every one of us has to do something with Jesus' claim that he is, he's not a way, he is not a truth, he is not a life, he is the way, the truth, the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. There is only one way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. Muhammad is in the grave. He's still there. Buddha, still in the grave. Confucius, still in the grave. There's only been one who's defeated death. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is reigning on high. He is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you this morning. Amen. He wants you to come to him and say, Jesus, I surrender all. I have decided to follow you. I've made a decision. It was on this day, April 9th, 2023 is my day of salvation. Oh, won't you come to him? Won't you come to him? There's an essay that was written as I close this morning called The Incomparable Christ. I want to read it for us. More than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of nature. He laid aside his purple robe for a peasant's tunic. He was rich. Yet for our sake he became poor. This man lived in poverty and was raised in obscurity. He received no formal education and never possessed wealth or widespread influence. He never traveled extensively. He seldom crossed the boundary of the country in which he lived. But this man's life changed the course of history. In infancy he startled a king. In childhood he amazed religious scholars. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked on stormy waves, and hushed the raging sea to sleep. He healed multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors in the world can combine. He never wrote a book, yet his life has inspired more books than any other man. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters in history combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as him. He never marshaled an army. He never drafted a soldier or fired a gun. Yet no leader has ever had more rebels surrender to him without a shot fired. Herod couldn't kill him. Satan couldn't seduce him. His enemies could not destroy him. 
The grave could not hold him. After three days, he rose victorious from the dead and alive forevermore. He is the ever-perfect one. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This man stands forth as the pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by people, and feared by demons as the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My question for us this morning, what will you do with Jesus? He is the truth. This morning, what will you do? What will you decide about Jesus? You know, eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. Eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. What will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, there are people in this room right now. Their hearts are churning because of the truth of your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to come to a place of surrender. Let today be the day that they decide once and for all to follow Jesus. There are people in this congregation who have been worshiping with us for many, many weeks or even months. Today is a great day for them to come and join this fellowship and experience the love and the support and the, the ministries of this church like Emily testified this morning. I pray that they'll come during this song. Lord, I ask that this morning, if anybody in this church really needs to just make a recommitment to you, today, Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023, is a day for them to make that decision. Lord, I pray that as we sing these first two stanzas of I have decided to follow Jesus, that they'll respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand. And we'll sing this song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. 